You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Hi there, Chris. How did it feel to play a Scottish legend and what kind of pressure comes with playing a Scotsman, the Scottish accent, swearing the right way? Well, uh, I figured I would be crucified by some people, so I kind of <laughs> gave, up, gave up trying to be a perfect Scotsman early on. Uh, I had an incredible dialect coach. I worked with mainly Scottish, uh, Scottish men in the largest fraternity of, of, of mean actors of all time. Um, and they were they were brutally honest with me and kept me in line. And I lived in Glasgow for you know, four months and, and uh, just tried to soak up as much as I could. And in terms of playing Robert the Bruce, I, it's a, a challenge I couldn't turn down. And, and uh, you know the man is six hundred some odd years old. And, and in order to uh, pin down who this guy was is a bit more difficult than I, I thought. So I, I tried to do justice to the script that was given to me and the character that I saw on the page. Well, thank you very much. We thought your Scottish accent was great. So there you go. Well, hello and welcome to the 602 Club. I am so excited to be here. I hope that you like scotch because that is all that Ruby is serving tonight, which is fine with me. Um, and I have with me um, the, well, the one and only Scotsman that I know personally, uh, the fantastic Lee Hutchinson. How's it going, Lee? Yeah, really good. I'm so glad that whiskey's on the menu today. So it feels very fitting for our conversation today. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Um, and uh, luckily, she's only serving the good stuff. So 18 years and above, which is fantastic as well. Uh, but um, with all of this Scottish talk, um, maybe people have figured out what we're going to talk about. But uh, recently, at least in the States, we had a film released on Netflix called... Outlaw King, which uh, it stars the one and only Chris Pine. And um, Lee, you got to see this in the theater, though, um, because you went to the premiere, correct? Yeah, well, to an extent, yeah, I got to go to the London Film Festival and I got to watch an 8.30 in the morning press screening okay. on the <laughs> largest IMAX screen in the country. So it's certainly a bit different from kind of many people's experience of this movie. We've, we've been kind of lucky here in, in the UK, really, in the past kind of year or so, um, an independent cinema chain has been getting a bit of a, a deal with Netflix movies, but it never really comes north of the border. But we've been really lucky with this being sort of a, a Scottish movie that mm -hmm. it has. We've also got the option to kind of see it in the cinema for a week here in Scotland and in only two cinemas. So, um, yeah, I've, I've certainly had my, my choices to see this movie. Yeah, that's really cool. And I can I can definitely see, you know, after having seen the film, it would have been nice to have seen this uh, on the big screen. But before we get completely off track, uh, I just want to remind everybody, of course, you know, you can find uh, the 602 Club wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, um, seriously, uh, wherever you find podcasts, whatever podcast catcher you're using, uh, you can look us up and subscribe there. Of course, if you're over on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, you know, hit us up with a star rating review. Um, I know we say it every time, but it's totally true. It helps people find 
find the show. Uh, it helps the show grow. It helps more people see the show because it makes it more visible in iTunes. So, uh, and uh, you get thanked uh, whenever you do. Any anybody that's ever written a uh, star rating, uh, given us a star rating and review, um, that written review, uh, we read out what you say on the show. So, uh, you can also find us uh, um, all over the place on uh, social media. Track FM is everywhere. We've got the uh, listeners-only discussion group on Facebook called the Babel Conference, which allows you to talk to fans from all over the world listening to our shows. Uh, you Again, find that on Facebook. Type Babel into the search field there. Or uh, if you happen to be on the website at uh, track.fm, you can click discussion on any of the show pages, and that would also get you into the group. You can find us on Twitter at TrekFM. Uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. Uh, and last but not least, if you happen to be over on the website at trek.fm perusing things, uh, maybe you want to send us an email. Uh, so you can do that by going to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, and choose uh, the 602 Club. And then that email comes to me and any host that's on that week. And we'll be able to talk to you about anything that uh, you're excited about. So, um. You know, Lee, uh, I think that, you know, we were talking a little bit before we kind of uh, got completely started, but this idea, you know, um, this film finally coming out and, you know, obviously uh, all of us are familiar with uh, Braveheart and the story of William Wallace now because of the film that um, Mel Gibson did. But I I felt like this was really interesting that the Bruce, uh, you know, finally gets his due in some way uh, to get a film of his own. Because, you know, he's such an important part of, of Scottish history um, and, and the first king of Scotland. Um, and uh, what fascinated me was the fact that this film hadn't been made before. Like, nobody had told this story like this. And I was wondering if you had any idea or had any thoughts of why do you think it took so long for there to be a film like this and for this story to make it to the big screen? I think it's it's one of these ones that I think you you kind of look at movies of the the kind of past few years and really kind of past 20 years it's all about name recognition and I think it's easier to kind of sell a movie where it's like it's the Iron Man it's the Batman these types of characters and it's it's a big risk to take on a hero for someone in Scotland, which is still a really small country, despite our influence on the world of creating TV, for example, we are still a real small country. So I think the idea of a Robert the Bruce movie going around the world, I can imagine some studios going, hmm, is this going to be something that we can put into the cinemas and people are going to know, are going to recognize? And I think that that's probably always been over their head. And I think as well, Scotland at the moment, we're, we're really blessed with things like Outlander. We've recently had the Avengers Infinity War. We've got so much talent kind of coming into the country to just now and filming. And I feel that sort of that momentum is really kind of carried through into something like you know, Outlaw King, where people are like, yeah, we can make this film in Scotland now. You know, Braveheart, this famous Scottish movie, was pretty much all shot across the sea in Ireland. So I think now that there's more of an infrastructure, there's the talent here to make this. I mean, apart from obviously Chris Pine and a few of the cast, this is a nearly an entire Scottish production and team involved in it. So I think it's been something that's been building for a while and it's just kind of come at the right moment. So that's that's kind of my feeling on it it's 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 funny to me that it would take so long to tell this kind of story just because it is 
the kind of story that we go to the movies for, you know, the underdog versus the top dog. You know, I mean, when you're when you're looking at uh, what the story is about uh, a person struggling to uh, be king in a country that, um, you know, hasn't had a king in a long time. And has always and has been subjugated for the most part by by England for a long time. Um, you know, this is the kind of story I think we all love, um, and so I'm really glad that it got made. Uh, two, I think it's just a fascinating part of of history here. You know, um, I I you know would say it this way: many times we see England as being the 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 heroes in stories. Um, and this is an interesting part of their history where you get to see England from the other side. Um, and, uh, you know, we got that picture a little bit in Braveheart, obviously. Um, but I think that this brings it even farther just to see that, you know, there's good and bad to, bo- to, to countries, right? You know, and I think history is so much more complex than, than just good and bad people anyway. And I think this really brings that to light and it creates uh, a really fascinating story to see. Um, And, you know, for me personally, being somebody who has always, um, you know, I love Scotland, even though I've never not gotten to go, but its history fascinates me. um, It's whiskey fascinates me. uh, It's landscape fascinates me. And so um, I think you're absolutely right. I'm kind of glad that this film didn't get made before because you know, using the landscape of Scotland and the way that it, it is done here um, and really getting to be in that place, I think, makes such a big difference in this movie um, because it makes it feel so much more real uh, when you watch it. And I, for me, that's something that I really appreciated. And, and in many ways, I'm kind of glad that now the Bruce can get his due when we can actually film the movie in Scotland. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's one of the ones that I, I really particularly enjoyed that. And I, when I obviously saw it in London, you know, the heart of England, and <laughs> when I was kind of watching it with, with fellow kind of critics and so on, and then talking with people, and, and kind of the reaction of kind of, you know, I live in Edinburgh, it's a very mixed city in terms of Scots and English. And people are watching this movie going, I really hate the English coming out of this. And this is coming from English people. They're looking at that going, God, we come across really, really badly in this movie. Their their behavior isn't exactly the, the, the most, uh, you know, well-behaved in this movie. So it's it's one of these ones that we, we were having a debate where it's like, you know, Thanos has, you know, clicked his fingers and killed half the, the universe. And then in this, you know, you've got the English come along and they went, it's almost like, Hold your beer, Thanos. We've got this kind of covered. We're going for the <laughs> ultimate bad guys this year. There, there's a real kind of pantomime element to it, but I think it kind of makes it all the more sort of enjoyable to an extent. Well, and and I think you know the the movie does uh, I think the best job that it can with a very large story. Um, you know, I actually got a chance to read a book by uh, Ronald McNair Scott. <laughs> called Robert the Bruce and it's his whole life story and the struggle that he has with England lasts pretty much his entire life and so uh, the the period in which we get here um, is is a rather short period, and there's actually a lot of things that are very condensed in the story um, where they've kind of taken some liberties to 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 give us as much of the story as they can and yet what what the i mean the the entire street this this is something that is so big and and takes place over his entire life and so 
I th- I thought that especially looking back at the the history of it, you know, th- this is uh, a period of history that this is happening all over uh, the known world at this point um, between different countries. I mean, England and uh, and it's uh, the Netherlands, and and you've got. Uh, France and and of course um, Scotland and all of these places that all of this stuff is the back and forth of armies and, and treaties and all this stuff is happening a lot. But on top of that, I think one of the most interesting things for me was you know this movie shows the way in which Robert the Bruce makes the decision, and I thought it was interesting the way they do this because you know. The movie makes it seem as though the Bruce decides to uh, basically take it to Edward and 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 sue and, and you know work for Scottish freedom because of what is done to William Wallace. William Wallace finally being captured and then tortured in London, and then his body parts are like strewn across the four corners of of uh, England and Scotland to show what happens, um, which. Is I think it, it it makes for a good motivation, but it's really interesting because the actual history is quite different. Yeah, and one one thing I kind of with with this like uh, the Robert the Bruce isn't sort of one of these stories that we kind of get told a lot really in school, and it's kind of funny that you're talking about that you you've just read this kind of book about you know my first king as it essentially were, whereas at school I spent a year learning about. American history and kind of the rise to American Civil War, the Civil War over. Like, there, there never is much kind of conversation about kind of Scottish history right, with certain things like the Jacobites and perhaps, you know, the classic world wars, for example. So, like, it's really interesting to, to almost have this discussion. But we're perhaps almost living in a somewhat a bit of ignorance here in kind of Scotland about sort of the history. If you want to become a bit of a, an expert on Robert the Bruce, you need to go out and get the books. You need to go out and kind of engage with the history. It's not something that's kind of presented to you really on a plate here. And, you know, I think a lot of people in this country, for better or worse, see something like Braveheart and take it almost as a gospel. And I wonder if that's going to be perhaps the case without locking in, in terms of its history, for example, and, and what it presents if people just go, yeah, I'm sure there's one or two inaccuracies, but yeah, I'll, I'll accept it for what it is. See, and that's that's just fascinating to me, this idea that, you know, this wouldn't be something that, that um, Scots would, I mean, really be into and like have, have gotten taught in, in school because, uh, because – the story of of the the reason that the Bruce decides to start this rebellion against England is that he and John Common have actually entered a pact when it looks like Edward the First is going to die. Um, he's very ill. They think he's going to die, and therefore they make a pact together. Um, they write letters back and forth about this idea that um, okay. One of us is going to be king, um, and whoever decides to be king, the other will um, give up his lands to the other person that gets to be king. And so um, the pact is is that John Common uh, decides, I want to be king, so I'll give you my lands, um, and we'll, we'll make our move once Edward is dead. Well, unfortunately for them, Edward gets better. Um, he's not quite dead, uh, and <laughs> it... it at, at that point, actually, uh, too, 
you have uh, the Bruce in England, and he realizes that something is fishy, like something's going on, like the king is treating him weirdly, um, and he flees, making his way back to Scotland. They actually run into the guy that John Common has sent with letters to the king of England, Edward, to let him know about this treachery, um, spinning it that it's all, you know, the Bruce's fault. Um, so the Bruce becomes an outlaw, basically. That's what that's how that happens. Like he becomes the person that the King of England is trying to hunt down and therefore doesn't have as much of a choice uh, in the matter because the person he had entered a pact with to go against Edward has betrayed him. And so it's fascinating to me. Like I, I, I get the fact that you simplify it for the movie, but I was reading the history and I was like, this is so much more intriguing than what they put in the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's quite fascinating as well, because there's like what we kind of see perhaps in the movie and, and what we're discussing there. Yet English historical records almost have a slightly different take on it, that he was going to kill common all along so he could gain the throne. So they go from sort of the more salacious and drama side of it. than perhaps the side that we, think well that does probably make more sense you know there's more kind of motives going on here and, and betrayal and mm-hmm. you know betrayal of betrayals going on so yeah it's certainly interesting it's it's almost that kind of classic you know history is written by the victor yeah and and i mean that at least according to what i had read you know that is the reason that the bruce then murder and he doesn't even murder him he stabs him they're leaving and one of his men is like shouldn't we finish the job and he goes in and one of his guys goes in and kills him so i mean it it's it's it is fascinating but he has that confrontation because he is confronting him about the fact that he knows for certain that common has turned on him so it just makes for this really interesting history and like you said there's all these back and forth these betrayals of betrayals and all that kind of stuff and It really is very, um, it's so much more detailed and so much more, uh, well, fascinating, really, uh, when you look at at how history plays itself out. But one of the things that I was kind of interested in was the fact that, you know, and it it kind of, it reminded me a a little bit of uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, where, you know... um, Khan is saying to Kirk, you know, is there anything you would not do for your family? And in many ways, you know, the the story we kind of see here is that the Bruce does this for his country, like the entire country of Scotland for his, but he also does it for his own family as well. And what he's a, he's willing to give up is a lot because he spends so much of his life in the open, out in the out uh, out in the wild with his army and and they they're willing to burn down their own castles um and you know here's a man of 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 extreme privilege at this point willing to sacrifice pretty much everything he owns and everything he has for this desire to free Scotland you know and i think that's a i mean that's an interesting and fascinating story to me the guy that would be willing to basically give up money and title in in that way um land which in that point makes is what makes you rich um he's willing to destroy it all uh and burn it all down which he does uh, because every time they capture a castle he'll he'll burn it down so that the english can't use it again um that's that is just 
I mean, by today's standards, that's kind of crazy, but it's also what wins them today in the end. Yeah, and I think it's even the same kind of at the beginning where he sort of falls into line with with England because that's what his father wants, that he has Mm -hmm. to agree with what his kind of father wants. So he is willing to kind of sacrifice that even you you see it all along in those kind of first meetings between uh, the Bruce and uh, Edward and, you know, the Prince of Wales, where you can see this is a guy that is, you know, raging inside about this deal, but he's getting into line because that's what his father wants and that's what he believes he has to do you know it's you know they're they're almost put into a surrender he's almost giving up at that point as well so it, it feels so consistent that he's always kind of that's his default position that he is always willing to sacrifice something for for the greater good for either family you know in terms of his his father's choices and i i think it, it shows him as a noble and, and very consistent man as well he's he's not someone where you see it in many superhero moments where or you know traditional moments like that we think this is a guy that is um you know, he's, you know, a normal person, but then something happens that shatters all of that. You kind of get that feeling just straight away that this is a man that is, that is ready to turn, that he is always going to be consistent in that respect. He will always do the right thing at that time. Well, and, and I like that too, because, you know, look, obviously it's politically motivated for him because he does want to be king. But he also wants to do what he believes is right for his people, which is to not be subjugated by England, which is to, that they should be free. They should have the, the freedom to reign them, you know, to, to rule over themselves, um, you know, and, and, and the fact that, you know, he, he sets up too historically you know he sets up a parliament very much in the same line as england so yes he is king but he is not tyrant um and not only that but i also think it's really fascinating too um reading the history uh not only is he willing to give all this up but the um one of his main supporters is is the uh is the church there in Mm -hmm. scotland supporting him and backing him um because of course in that time you know if you don't have the support of the church, you don't have anything. So um, they put their money on Robert the Bruce as well. And I just, I thought that this was really interesting. You know, I, I think in a world in which we live where everybody is wanting to, um, you know, support some cause or whatever, to see a man be willing to support his cause with every single ounce of everything that he has and is, I think that is a real testament to what it takes to change the world. Like if you want to change the world, you have to be willing to sacrifice everything. And the Bruce is willing to do that. Absolutely. I, I really found the, 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 you know, the work that was kind of going on with the, with the church where he, he goes to them, that he is appealing to them that, you know, if you come with me, you, you know, you the Church of Scotland will be still kind of, it, it will have its place in this world in Scotland, whereas if it kind of continues the way it is, then it will be essentially replaced by the Church of England. And I find that quite fascinating to see, you know, the, the church leaders playing politics with this as well. They are, you know, this man is, you know, he has just committed murder, but they are willing to, to support him and back him for the long-term good that they can see that falling in line with him is going to be the best for the church 
approach in the the long term. And I really found that that moment where you see them discussing the politics of it all, and they're so sure of what they need to do. There there doesn't seem to be much debate. I thought that was quite an interesting thing, and something I've I've rarely ever seen, perhaps in a film. Often it can be done in a t- bit of a sort of the the religious characters are sort of kind of you know. You know, they're very kind of caricatures. With this, they were, they felt kind of, you know, you could understand their decisions here and you could see why they would essentially support a murderer in this case. Well, and, and I think it, it goes to show you that, like you said, the church isn't just this kind of like, uh, caricature, you know, that the, the, the importance of and, and the reality of, you know, I remember even listening to an interview with Chris Pine and he was talking about this idea. You know, this is a time period where the church plays just as much into, um, the realities of life as everything else, you know, and, and he said, you know, this is also a point where, uh, people truly believe you know, in the church, they truly believe, um, and, um, God, and therefore it's, it's highly important to them to have the backing of the church. Otherwise they don't have anything. And so like, even historically, um, as I was reading the book, you know, there are a couple of times in the Bruce's life where even though the church absolves him, he still will make, uh, he makes certain pilgrimages to, to certain places, um, the uh, the bur- uh, the uh, burial place of some certain saints to again ask for absolution. So it's not as though even that one moment he feels okay with himself. Like the it, it is something that kind of seems to continue on in his life where he he feels the need to ask for absolution again. So I feel like this is a man who, you know, he commits that act, but it's not something where he just walked away from it and he was fine. I think that speaks to the character of the man pretty, pretty deeply. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as, 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 almost as soon as that knife has come out of John Common, he is immediately like, "All right, I need to go." And you know, it's he is very clear almost in the process. Like before he's even gone to Common, you can see the process, and he said, "If I do this, I need to do this. I need to do that." Like you know, th- there is a clear thought process behind everything, and I, and he is aware in that moment that he could go to the the church leaders, and they could say, "You know, you are a murderer," and he could be hung the next day. He is taking a huge gamble in that, even kind of going. Going through the through the church you know but he has to do it and you know it's a gamble that essentially pays off both for the kind of church of scotland and for for the bruce well and and i i think you're absolutely right you think about that you know the whole idea of he's he's gambling with his soul at that point because for him if he doesn't get the absolution you know murderers you know without absolution from the church get sent to hell you know, so I mean, like, this is, this is, he is willing to sacrifice everything for what he believes is the best for Scotland. And he believes himself to be what's best for Scotland. And what I think is, is really interesting, you know, I was reading an, another book recently, and they were talking about the, the ways in which, um, you know, certain men of power don't necessarily always lay that power down. And and that's one of the things that made George Washington kind of unique in that sense is that he has the opportunity to basically be king and he lets that power go. And, you know, uh, the Bruce has the power then to be the ultimate ruler of Scotland, and yet he doesn't take it upon himself to be any kind of tyrant in the end. He he creates a form of government, which, yes, there's a king, but there's 
there's a parliament to to rule alongside. And I think that speaks really highly to him. It wasn't just about the power for him. It really truly seemed to be about the freedom for his people. And I think, you know, that's uh, maybe something that we have lost in our political society today <laughs> all over the world. So... Yeah, and I, I think there's a great moment just towards sort of the the last stretch of the movie before the the big payoff battle where someone's like, "Where where is the Bruce?" and like he's looking around, you know, expecting him to sort of be what we'd expect from a leader, you know, viewing things from afar. But there he is in the trenches, digging up the mud and having a sing song with the with his you know fellow man. And I, I I thought that was a great moment. It sums up why you know someone like Robert the Bruce could achieve what he did. Mm, he yep. he could get men to fight alongside him and he fought with them. He wasn't someone that ruled by fear because that's what was essentially going on with the English. He needed to be different and he was different. And that was where many of his success came from. No, I really like that you bring that up because I think that is probably the most important part of the movie. And it's one of the keys that, you know, as I was reading the the history um, for for the Bruce, it, it is it is he's a man who is a man of the people. You know, in that sense, like he he his men follow him because there's nothing he wouldn't he would ask them to do that he doesn't do himself. Um, and, and many of the times he's leading the charge into battle, like you said, just being a he's another guy in the trenches digging up in the mud. It's again, it's one of those things where it, it just shows you the character of the man. And I think that's something that. You know, you look at that and and it does make you long. Uh, I think that's why people long for the good old days when they see things like this. They're just like, man, we need more people that think and act like this. So I think that's a good moment. You know, we've talked a lot about kind of the history and everything, but I wanted to ask you specifically, I mean, you know, uh, Chris Pine, um, how do you think he does in this role? Because, I mean, this this is a big chunk to chew you know like this is a big thing to pull try and pull off one you've got to try and do the ask accent right right you know and and two just i mean this this is a um this is a role that will define what people think of as robert the bruce in many of the ways that you know mel gibson's role that's what people think of william wallace and you want to do that justice for an entire country yeah, and I think he did it really well. I've heard no complaints from Scottish people, and we love to complain. Trust me on that one. Uh, if anyone <laughs> hey, murders the a Scottish actor, it's awful. Everyone has an opinion on an actor whenever they do a Scottish accent, but he is getting the the thumbs up. And for me, I, I was having this discussion with someone the other day, and the point was someone had said. Why in this kind of Scottish movie that is nearly an entire Scottish cast, Scottish production team, do you have an American as your Scottish kind of hero? And kind of my view of it was like, I I thought Chris Pine was an inspired choice because, you know, I I think he's fantastic in Star Trek, you know, Wonder Woman, uh, Hell or High Water. But for me, I can almost describe it on a personal kind of level. So... We kind of mentioned earlier on, I, I was at sort of the, the press screening, but at the nighttime, I, w- I was really lucky enough to be uh, on the red carpet, kind of posing questions of the cast and crew. And there was talk all week, you know, these were the people coming, but it hadn't been confirmed that Chris Pine was there. But he was in London, I knew that, so I thought he's bound to be there. 
And I remembered at one point when I first saw him with my eyes. I mean, I've known this guy for about maybe 10 years of, on TV and film. And I remember just looking down the red carpet and I clocked eyes with him. And you're just immediately taken back. And I mean, I'm lucky that I've been to conventions. I've been to red carpets where I see famous actors a lot of the time. And it's like, oh, that's that person. But with Chris Pine, he had a real presence that you were like, oh, wow. Like he's quite a tall guy. And then when he talks, he's very personable. He he interacts with people really well. And you kind of get this feeling of going, if I was David McKenzie and I was working with this guy in Hell or High Water, I'd be looking at him and probably in the way that J.J. Abrams and co. when they were casting Star Trek would look mm, at him and yeah. go, this is, he's got that leadership vibe. He's got someone that he is young, but you could fall into line behind this guy. Right. And it was really great to just, it was just that moment. And I'll never forget it. Just, just clocking eyes with him and going, wow, that he is, he's got a presence. And that was him halfway down, down a carpet chatting to someone. It's like, you, you could feel something about that. And I, I could, I thought he did it. He was an excellent choice. You know, the accent was great. The presence was great. You know, you believe this man would be king and that he would be a popular king and one that would inspire people. You know, it's uh, it's so funny. We have all the Brits play our American superheroes, and apparently we have Americans play, you know, <laughs> Scottish uh, historical heroes. So, um, yeah. But I, I know I totally agree with you. I think, you know, like you, I've been following Chris Pine for a long time. I mean, gosh, I think the first thing I saw him in was um, Princess Diaries 2 way yes. back in the day, you know? And so, but he's, he's been somebody that I feel like has grown on me more and more and more as an actor that I really respect. And I think that that's because he's, he does such a great job of, of pouring himself into whatever role he's in and just portraying that person with as much humanity as possible. And I think he really does that in the role here that he, he does exactly what you need to do. This, this man that uh, is, struggling with the choices that he's making he's he's doing everything he can to free his country he's portraying the the weight of of that burden that he's carrying um for the murder he committed for what he felt like he had to do um and i'm also too i mean just a man who loses everything he loses his 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 castle he loses his family um you know and he has to find a way to make it through. And I think Chris Pine just, he, he's a, he makes you feel what he's feeling. And that's what you need in this role, because you don't want this man to be a, a, a Superman. You want this man to be a human being. And, and the moment that really got to me was the moment where he watches one of his brothers die on the river as they're trying to cross over on the boat. And he's, he's rowing back and the determination and just ah, the anguish on his face is just like, that was the moment for me where I was just like, really, I felt like they chose the perfect actor for this role. hundred percent. It's really interesting. And I, I, the movie does a decent job, uh, although James Douglas will be, uh, it and is the closest ally to, uh, Robert the Bruce, um, and uh, but I, you know, Aaron Taylor Johnson uh, is is a good actor, but um, I I enjoyed him in this role, although he, I don't feel like in the movie he's as big as what I read 
that he is historically. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, he really is, he's Bruce's right-hand man. And next to his brothers, the person he trusts the most throughout the rest of his life, um, they are inseparable in the sense of, of, of commitment to one another. Um, so I feel like he does a good job for what he's given to do, but I felt like the role could have been accentuated even more. I mean, I I must admit, and I think it's a discussion I've had with quite a few people, that he's become almost a lot of people's kind of favorite character in the movie because he is such a, almost a primal character in a way. And I think like, (laughs) there's so many moments like, I mean, I I think I've I've watched this movie on obviously a big screen and at kind of home as well. And it it lacks a little bit of an impact on kind of the, the TV screens. But just before this big final battle, it cuts to him and you just see him it's more you can just pick up perfectly on a big screen but he's frothing at the mouth with kind of excitement and just the anger to just really get stuck into kind of fighting the english and i think he's just one of these characters that he is such a big player but kind of within the confines of this movie it, it has been sort of reduced but i think he becomes someone these this character that people just really in, enjoy and they see him and they go yeah i can i can understand that dislike you know that kind of rivalry you probably see in scottish football fans when we're playing england or in kind of those kind of sporting <laughs> events yes. or politics he is just someone that people go oh yeah i know a james douglas and yeah yeah that james douglas reminds me of my pal from work or that guy i know from something or oh he's my mate on the terraces he is someone that i think a lot of scots are really relating to and he's almost become a bit of a a, a kind of the star of the movie for a lot of people i think it's it's funny you're mentioning that because uh i was listening to an interview that peter jackson uh did about his new documentary uh for the world war one which i cannot i'm really hoping i get a chance to see it's it's got a couple of days it's going to be in the theaters here for special engagement engagements um, and I really want to see it, but he was mentioning how uh, the front lines in World War One they rotated the men in and out, so they weren't in the trenches all the time. They they would rotate in and out, and anytime the Scots rolled in, like no, the Germans didn't want to have anything to do with the Scots. They were <laughs> deathly afraid of the Scots. So it's I mean, what you're saying is absolutely true. Like you you know I. Douglas is is a man of of just high ferocity and not somebody you want to go up against. And so, yeah, I I do think in those those moments he does do a good job of really showing that and bringing that to life when he gets the opportunity. So, um, yeah, well done on him. I think um, the most interesting thing I, I'd say of this, you know, Florence Pugh playing Elizabeth, which is his second wife. Um, it was very interesting to me that in the movie they chose to have this be more of an arranged marriage whereas in history he falls in love with her and they get married and there isn't anything arranged about it so that was an interesting take for me to uh, to see um them use in the film but historically that's not necessarily the case although regardless i think she does a really good job in the role and she makes the most of every time she's on screen yeah, I think she's an actress that people are going to become a lot more familiar with in the kind of the coming years. That she, I think a couple of years ago she was wonderful in uh, Lady Macbeth. I don't know if it's on Amazon Prime in America, but it certainly is here. And um, it's not based on the Macbeth storyline at all, but she plays a, a young woman in sort of a period piece that is, you know, 
is trying to, you know, and is ca- kind of trapped in an arranged marriage of her own. And she is fantastic in it. She is one of these brilliant leading actors. And I think she's kind of coming up in a, a new TV series. I think she's going to be someone that people are going to be seeing a lot more of. Sort of Lady Macbeth was the movie where people were seeing it. And then after that, she's kind of getting cast in a lot of these films. And I would love to have seen more of her in this film. I think she's, she's fantastic. And, you know, it's, you know, it's those little scenes as well when they, the English are coming and, you know, they're dragging this young boy. And she's like, you know, my father is, you know, a command of this army. He wants men to fight, not children. And it's just like you get a real... It's another thing I liked about this movie and the character as well. And, you know, you don't deserve points for it. But it was nice to see sort of that kind of Robert the Bruce as a man that he is put into this arranged marriage in the film but they don't consummate it on the night you know they they're almost they almost learn to fall in love with each other and there's never sort of her he's always very respectful of her being thrown into this position and it almost seems that you know she earns his respect and likewise and I think they're a really good pairing I just wish that was the one thing I wish I'd see more of maybe not so much the history element but these two had a really good partnership yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think and in, in they, they have great chemistry on screen. And I, I, I really enjoyed the way that they did portray it in the movie in the sense of just them getting to know each other and kind of finding their way to fall in love with each other um, with the the whole aspect of, of making it kind of more of an arranged marriage. Um, and, you know, I thought it was fascinating because and historically, too, for her, because she is the daughter of one of the English captains and one of the most important people to Edward, um, the the um, uh, the first, the King of England, it's fascinating because um, that's the only thing that saves her from actually. In the movie, they portray her as having been locked up in one of those cages, hanging down from the the battlements on a castle. That's actually not what happens to her um, because of who her father is. If she had been anybody else, that's exactly what they would have done to her. Um, but she's under house arrest for, I think, a little over nine years. So it's a very long yeah. time that they're apart. Uh, and it, But it's, I mean, it's still awful for her, but she doesn't get treated the way they show her getting treated in the movie. I think they do that in the movie because they wanted you to see what did happen to people in um, the the court of the Bruce because a couple of women actually do have that happen to them. Um, and one of the women actually survives that for four years. Wow. And the only person that she speaks to um, through that whole time is the woman who brings her food every day. Like... I don't know how that's possible, but it's insane. Certainly not civilized times. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. There'd be some lawsuits these days, you know? Um, so was there anybody else in the cast for you that, uh, you know, beyond these three really stuck out to you? Yeah, definitely for two of them. Uh, Billy Howell as Edward, kind of Prince of Wales. He's an actor I wasn't too familiar with in, until this year, really. He's fantastic in um, the adaptation of On Chesil Beach. He plays what could be to the total that. opposite. I haven't seen that yet, and I love that book, so I need to see that. Really, really good film, and he's fantastic in it as this sort of dithering kind of English gentleman and man trying to find his way in the world. And he's very much a, an English man trying to find his way in the world in this and he is just 
a brilliant villain. Like you immediately when you they're having this sword fight and it's that really sort of passive aggressive, you know, mm-hmm. they're dueling and they're, yep. you know, the barbs are kind of going there. They're like, they're almost kind of chuckling away as they kind of, you know, give each other some passive aggressive uh, comments. And just like the, the whole bit when, when his father dies and it's like, you know, oh, like I never cried because I knew it scared you. And, you know, he just blows off his father's, you know, wishes I just thought he was really, really good in this film. And um, and the same with Tony Curran as well. He's a man that's literally starred in everything. And he's also been in um, another Netflix movie this year based in Scotland, uh, Calibre, which is, you know, a very dark movie as well. But one of my highlights of the year, he is always fantastic in this. And um, mm-hmm. I just love the sort of the rival, the the. the the banter really between him and uh, you know Black Douglas when they're they're talking it's like you know if you go near my daughter again I'm going to chop off your your nether regions and I'm going to use it as bait and I just think he he's an excellent character he's someone that he's just a quiet calming presence around Robert the Bruce and I just thought he he was excellent I just think it's an, a really well cast film and it was one that you know there are real really great castings kind of gone into this movie and I think they've they've really picked the best people for for the rules yeah i agree with you on both counts i think they were wonderful um in, in the in the roles that they had you know i i've o- always enjoyed tony curran when i've seen and and uh i just looked um on chesel beaches on uh amazon prime so i'll be able to watch awesome. it soon um and so i'm really looking forward to seeing billy howell in that um but yeah i mean he the 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 almost um, psychopathic nature that he kind of plays uh, the the Prince of Wales with is is fiercely disturbing. Um, you know that he is somebody who's just frothing at the mouth for um, victory and and to to defeat uh, the Bruce and and to subjugate this this country. You know it's it's kind of scary the uh, the way he plays it, and I I think it's perfect. You know you want. Um, I, I think, you, you know, um, you do get a little bit more black and white in that sense, you know, of, of the characterizations. But historically, he is a man who is obsessed, as his father was, with trying to subjugate Scotland for his entire life. Um, and... Uh, it it is it it does seem to be an obsession with him. So I felt like they did a really good job of portraying that. Um, yeah, he, he is just a mad man. Yes, I think it's something yes. that you kind of see. I see a lot with with kind of English history, really, because like you know, you you think of for for a country like the kind of UK and you know the size of England, like the the old saying like kind of the sun's never sets on kind of the english empire and i think that's been something that's been there through english history where they've gone to all these places from america to africa to australia and they have gone in with this attitude that we should be subver- uh, uh, subversive to these you know this nation and it's a nation that is unrelatable to many of these kind of people and for such a small nation that kind of that power that arrogance has that you know it helped them kind of conquer the globe and you know they owned most of the world until even just a few decades ago and it was that kind of attitude that kind of princes of wales attitude that really helped them do it, i think yeah no i think you're absolutely right you know and seeing a movie like this i think it does a great job of, of bringing home some of those things and as as we talked about earlier just a story that we haven't 
seen as much of, but now we're really, I, I hope that this will really bring to light um, uh, this this history in a way that makes people want to, you know, um, watch it more often. And, and um, not only that, but just like see more things about this. I think it would be fascinating and, and read more books about it. You know, the, the book I have by um, Ronald McNair Scott, I think I'm looking right now. Um, you know, this book came out in 1989. Um, and so this is, you know, it's, it's not something you get a lot of books written about. So I, I think maybe this movie, if it can spur people on towards looking back at some of this history, it would be really fascinating. Um, cause I'd love to see more books on it. Uh, I wanted to ask you too, you know, this is always really important, um, but this being a, such a huge Scottish production, what did you end up thinking about the production value of the film? It was it was unbelievable. I mean, I think they spent about 90 million on this movie. And I, I, you see every penny of it on the screen that what I love is that everything is so tactile that, you know, when they're in the ocean, when they're in the mud, you feel every single one of those. And I, I just thought it looked, it, you know the the country looked great. I mean, I, I've been. I thought it looked fantastic on a TV. I thought it looked brilliant on a you know an IMAX screen. I just thought it was like you were blown away by the quality of it because we're so used to in in Scotland. You know, you you maybe get the odd bit of a scene here. You know, you had something like the Avengers. You know, they shot here. You know, it looks great on a big screen. But like this looked brilliant you know it, i think it's that passion of having scottish people involved in making this movie that they want they know the locations to go to they know the the angles to shoot at they, they've probably had this stories in their head their entire life and i think you see it every little scene of that you know the armor looks fantastic you know the the battle sequences you know the big cannon thing that they fire at sterling castle like you look at that and you think that is, a, they've really used every single penny of that. And, you know, 90 million is, is nothing to be sniffed at. That is a lot of money. And I, I look at that and I think, awesome. I, I'm very curious as well. I know that between sort of Toronto Film Festival when it was originally put out there, um, there is extra footage. There's like 25 minutes that was cut between then and when I saw it in London kind of a couple of weeks earlier, which includes like an extra kind of battle scene and Robert the Bruce and William Wallace meeting up kind of early in the movie as well. So I'd love to kind of see that extra material someday. I know that was a bit of a hard process for them cutting out those scenes because they they looked great you know they they had used spent quite a bit of money on it but they felt it didn't kind of fit in with the film and making it work as best as it could so i'd love to see those extra values as well but i'm curious as well for for an american and when i was telling a friend earlier i was like i'm gonna be discussing with this with an american he's like i'd love to hear what an american thinks of this so what was your kind of take on on the production and and do you feel that with a movie like this where it's going all around the world you know it's from here to america to Iceland, everywhere in between, would this inspire people to come visit Scotland? Does it change people's opinion of us as a nation? <laughs> well, I mean, I can say, uh, uh, you know, a hearty hell yeah. Um, I would, if if I could afford it, I would drop everything and go to Scotland in a heartbeat. Um, you know, just part of, but you're talking to somebody who's always wanted to visit this country. Um, and, you know, it's, I think, the, the thing that they did so well was uh, just some of the aerial landscape shots where you get to see the expanse and beauty of Scotland was very smart um, because Scotland is a, a beautiful country. 
it's so photogenic, um, you know, uh, whether it's uh, foggy or sunny. I mean, it, it's kind of a country that looks good in any weather. Uh, and I think they do such a great job of finding the ways to shoot um, this, like you were saying, just in the right light with the right angles to make it optimum awesome <laughs> um, so that every every time that you're in a new environment, you're feeling that environment. Like I loved that, you know, I felt like the way that they kind of shot the the parts on the islands when they go to the islands was a little bit different than some of the angles and, and shots that they would use in other parts of the film. So it, it made each place kind of come to life in a different way. Um, and it really brought home the, the I, I think the, the wild beauty that is Scotland. Um, and so, yes, absolutely. As a, you know, as a, an American, uh, I would, visit this place in a heartbeat and and I think I would enjoy uh, and relish every minute of it because there there is such a raw powerful beauty to the the landscape of Scotland and then you know I I think you're absolutely right the production value with every other part of the film you never felt like this was a movie that just belonged on the small screen, you know, and and that's the way I saw it. But I mean, I would have paid to see this on the big screen if it had come out in theaters here. So I I think Scotland did themselves proud with this film and the the production of it. Um, And I, I would hope to see you know, maybe them do some more films like this because I would be delighted to, to watch more of them. I think one of the complaints people have had is that it could be more like, you know, like they could have a Robert the Bruce story that goes on for further, you know, a further decade and further more. But I think the fact that they've, you know, they really focused on kind of the war of the Bruce period, like it does potentially leave open up a further door that, you know, you could kind of have more stories about Bruce and Black Douglas and, you know, the allies and their war against the English and, you know, their many adventures that they kind of went on. Mm-hmm. I think like there is an avenue for that to kind of happen again in the future, whether they do it, I wouldn't think so, but it's always kind of possible. And I, I, I want to say one thing as well, that with that kind of one thing that I think might surprise international audiences and I think would surprise many Americans, because I, I know how kind of you know, big they take it. Scotland doesn't technically have a national anthem. We have a shared national anthem with the rest of the, the United Kingdom of God Save the Queen. But Scotland, whenever they're playing like, you know, an international football match or a sporting event or so on, we sing Oh Flower of Scotland, which is all about this war of Robert the Bruce and sending kind of Edward home to think again, you know, of, of daring to kind of come up against the Scots and that whenever we go into sporting events and so on and we sing this song, this is like this movie is, you know, evoking what we kind of sing about when we're we're talking about our country and, and what it could potentially be in the future of a, an independent nation if that's what some people want it to be and so on. It's it's just a fascinating thing, you know, I don't not many people know that we don't have an anthem, but this movie is the song that we sing about at these games and dead oh, that's awesome that's fascinating um it's because especially since uh i think just a few I, I, as we're recording this uh, a couple weeks ago uh, the scottish women's national team was playing the um, uh, u.s women's national team um and so i heard them sing that song um that's really funny i did not know that and now you know the context yeah, of that's it that's awesome <laughs> 
Well, and it's funny because, you know, for us as Americans, our, our, our national anthem is very much rooted in a specific point in history, you know. Um, so in many ways, your what you would sing there before um, a sporting event is the same for us. Um, so that's really fascinating that we have a, a similarity in that way. So Yeah, absolutely. Well, that you know, you raised an interesting question that I kind of wanted to ask you because I, if if there is anything about this movie that I do feel like isn't quite perfect, it's that I do think that it could be longer. And no, I'm not talking about Little Pine. Um, I had to make <laughs> the joke; it had to be done. Um, so, but I do feel like this movie that there, you know, it's I think a, a little over two hours, just a tiny bit over, uh, you know, a smidge over two hours. And um, I, I feel like maybe an extra 30 minutes or, you know, heck, I, I don't, I, I could sit there for another hour, honestly. Um, I, I feel like it does feel a little bit rushed. I think it's interesting because there definitely was that cut that it was something that, you know, only existed, you know, less than a month and a half ago, there was that extra kind of 30 minutes. So, you know, you can, you can find out online about that extra scenes that have kind of been lost in the cut. And it, it's interesting because I, I could easily watch another half an hour or an hour of this movie, but it's interesting that the movie we've got, which is, is getting quite, really quite fantastic reviews. You know, there's the odd middling review, but it seems a really positive one. I think if you were a Rotten Tomatoes subscriber, you would say it's a fresh movie. And then um, people were kind of saying that when they saw it at Toronto, that, you know, the director's watching it going, something's not right here. He was feeling, the audience wasn't kind of getting into the movie quick enough. He could feel that there was issues. And, you know, before the, the UK premiere, within three weeks, they had removed 25 minutes of that movie and the reviews spiked up from that point. So I think it's one of these ones that there, there could be a case for more, but the more that we might have actually got might have made it kind of a lesser film. And I, I, you know, an interesting bit of trivia for for people, and you know, Braveheart is 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 you know a movie that is very much associated with Scottish nationalism, and we mean kind of Scottish nationalism, very different to what might be associated in other places in the world. It's you know it's, it's very much about kind of pride in your country, and you know viewing it as you'd like it to be independent one day. And Braveheart is very much associated with that film, whereas they've been at pains without locking to say it's this isn't going to be that type of movie. We're not we're playing to a, a universal audience. But one change did happen, a further change, where at the end where it's like, you know, in the future and in 300 years, Scotland and England united. When I saw it in London, it said Scotland and England united in 300 years, blah, 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 dot, dot, dot. But that's another story. And it was very much a wink and a nod to sort of, you know, what's going on kind of here in the UK these days. And it played very much. The audience certainly laughed to it. But they have removed that line in the past three weeks, you know, uh, with this movie. So there's certainly changes and other cuts out there of this movie. But I think the reviews of what we've got kind of maybe showed that we're lucky to, that maybe less is more perhaps in this way. Yeah, it. it I think, you know, part of it is, is always going to be what you're going to add. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I do think for me, part of it was reading the historical accounts and seeing that there is a lot more to the story and, and wanting some more of that. So, you know, 
it would be fascinating to me that it, you know since it's on Netflix you know, if they did ever release like the extended version on Netflix to allow you to be able to see that and and just see how it plays um you know in the end um you know i think speaking as an american you know i i do think this along with braveheart does kind of have a a good sense of patriotism that's what i would i don't i don't really appreciate the words nationalism either because i think it it does speak to some other things um but i do think that there is an importance for having good patriotism for your country and like you said having a pride in your country um you know and your history and and part of having being a good patriot for your country is actually knowing its history um and so you know movies like this i think are important to be able to hopefully spike interests uh in that and honestly in the end too look for me, I've always in lo- loved historical films because, you know, if we forget the past, we're just going to repeat it. You know, it, it's a it's a tropey saying for a reason because it happens all the time. And, you know, being able to look back at history in this way, I think, is important. And any film that can inspire history like this and, and like, I you know, I went and read a whole book about it. Um I love that, you know, and so I hope that we see more films like this. And I think um, they've done themselves, you know, uh, you know, Scotland should be very proud of its history in this way. So uh, if you, Lee, for you, what, um, where, where would you come down kind of in a, a ranking in this? Maybe, uh, you know, out of, out of five, out of 10, what, what do you think Outlaw King uh, does rate for you? I will, I'm going to have to, I'm going to go with, I'm going to be a bit of a cop out here. I'm going to go with, with two ratings. And I remembered, you know, I, I saw this with amongst like 30 other films at London Film Festival. And this was the one of the ones that I, you know, there was other movies that I enjoyed. Like I liked and loved more as a, as a fan of cinema. But I came out of this like, I would give that a four and a half for an absolute and enjoyable movie. It was one that I thought had great pacing. It was well acted. It made me feel, you know, excited. And and that's something that I think is a bit of a struggle these days. You know, you think of something like an Infinity War, for example, and I know they're totally wildly different, but this was a movie, you know, that was a movie all about, you know, a foe and rising up and, you know, a big battle at the end. And, I, you know, it's good. But like, this was something about it where it's like, oh man, this is like, proper old school it's a good romp and i would give it a four and a half just for that enjoyment and you know it's been two months nearly since i've seen it and i'm still talking about it enjoying it you know talking with other people and you know i'm hearing people that are seeing it here in edinburgh in the cinema and people are applauding at the end and me and you have discussed this before british and scottish audiences are poker face in cinemas they you know they'll laugh along at the jokes but it is not an interactive thing the last film i remembered anyone applauding was at the end of *Le miserable so uh, that oh, gives wow. you a kind of a point there <laughs> so uh, so people are, are really connecting with it so i give it a four and a half for an enjoyability you know objectively i would give it a four out of five but it's probably one of the most fun times I've had at the cinema this year. And I'm, I'm glad that there's a movie like this where I feel excited to talk about it. You know, I've done, you know, I've interviewed the cast. I've spoken about it on my own podcast and I'm still enjoying talking about it with someone else and hearing their different points of view. So I think that's definitely a testament to the film. And I think David McKenzie and co have done, done a great job. What about your, yourself? Yeah, I think you're right on, um, you know, David McKenzie, uh, Hell or High Water is just a brilliant film. Um, and uh, it was one of my favorite films uh, a few years ago. 
that I had seen. And so to see him come and do this with Chris Pine, who he had worked so well with in Hell or High Water, I think they they uh, put out just a, a complete winner. You know, this is uh, this is just a proper good uh, historical romp. Uh, and um, I think it has all the hallmarks that you want of a film um, trying to tell a historical story in an interesting and, and inviting way uh, to bring you in to the world and um, the acting is fan- fantastic as we talked about the production value of it is incredible um, again the only thing I'd say is I I would love more of the story uh, and and maybe that's good maybe it's good to leave you wanting more so like I, I was mentioning earlier it, it, it leads people to go get books and read you know and, and do some study about the history of this so um, all in all I think you're absolutely right I, I would I'd say this is a good four out of five stars. And and the fact that, you know, all around the world, you can see this on Netflix. There's no reason not to watch it, you know. Um, and we didn't even really talk about it. But, you know, um, gosh, the even the battle sequences are just really well done. They're so intense and, and you feel like you're in the middle of them. And in some ways that's good. And in some ways it's not because they're so uh, there's such a a visceral nature to them. But again, I think that's good as you see the reality of what life was like back then and what, what people did, what they went through um, for freedom. And and so I, I think that that's a, it's a really important thing to, to be thinking about and talking about these days, you know, that, that when we look at this idea of, of something so big and, and important as the idea of freedom, um, you know, it's never free. So, um, and we see that here and I think they do a great job with it. So I highly recommend uh, two thumbs up from both Lee and I for Outlaw King. And uh, I hope everybody will go check it out. Like I said, if you haven't seen it, gosh, especially if you're here in the States and, and all around the world, we've got it on Netflix. So do check it out. Um, I, I want to say a huge thank you to uh, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Daniel Noah, and Ryan Millette for their support of the network and specifically the 602 Club through Patreon. They are the associate producers here through Patreon, and uh, they know um, that this network cannot do um, this on its own. It's too big of an enterprise to put together Track FM and all the shows we have coming out. So uh, if you would like to support the network and make sure all of that keeps coming to you each and every week, uh, as so many podcasts are coming to you each and every week, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of the team. There are different contribution levels that you can give at, but in the end, every little bit helps. So um, every little bit a month, make sure that this keeps coming to you. So again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm where you can support us. Uh, Lee, it was great to have an actual Scott on to talk about such an important film for the Scottish people. Uh, and man, I know you have um, you know been able to interview the cast and you've got your own podcast and everything. So let everybody know where they can find you so they can catch up on some of the stuff that you did about Outlaw King. Yeah, you can catch me on uh, the Nerd Party like yourself um, on the filibuster strand. So I got to interview kind of Tony Curran, Chris Pine, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, the producer, James Cosmo. So I was a very, very lucky man. So uh, yeah, I count my lucky stripes for that. So you can hear my my red carpet interviews with him there and some of my reviews and so on there. So yeah, you can find me there. And I've got a new podcast that's just sort of come out in the past week or so called The A24 Project. We'll be discussing another Scottish film soon, Under the Skin. But 
that's been a real treat and we were lucky to have a wee cameo appearance from yourself in episode three so the the matt rushing cinema the podcast universe continues and um, so yeah you can find me on on those podcasts on on the nerd party for sure awesome uh where are you on twitter as well oh yeah you can find me on twitter at lee underscore nostromo Awesome. Awesome. And uh, thank you so much for the clip, too, that uh, you allowed us to use um, there. At the very beginning of the show, you heard a uh, clip of Lee interviewing the one and only ridiculously handsome Chris Pine. So I appreciate you letting us use that. That was a real treat to be able to hear, man. And gosh, I can't even imagine how cool that would have been. It was it was scary because I'll give you a small behind the scenes story. You know, I'm I'm sure your your listeners are uh, are ready for a cup of tea at this point. But um, when they were doing the red carpet, like originally it was like, right, you'll get three questions each with these people, two questions, one each. And then it was all kind of running late because these things always drag on. And like they coupled a lot of this, the online press together and went, right, it was one question between a lot of you. And you're sitting there thinking like, this is my moment. Like, I'm not going to let this slide. And he just came <laughs> right in the bang in front of me. And it was just like microphone. So Chris, and it was just one of those moments you're like, if I don't do this, one of the other publications are. And I'm as a kind of fan of uh, these things, like I, I wasn't going to let that slide. I was I was updating you guys in uh, the nerd party group chat at the time. I was like, oh my God, Chris Pine's here. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. And it was, yeah, it was a real moment that was a, a real treat. And I can assure people that he was a genuinely, lovely guy i mean you you don't hear it in the clip but like just a few seconds before like the crowd was screaming for him like chris chris and he's like i'm sorry guys i've got to work right now and he's just he <laughs> you know not many people do that he he's a great guy we're, we're really lucky to have him as a, an ambassador for star trek and and for, for places like kind of trek fm you know he's he's one of our own in a way as well so we're, we're very lucky yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, uh, you can find me um, doing not so cool things over on Twitter and MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram and Letterboxd under the same name. Uh, I am here on the network. Uh, when we get a chance, Chris Jones and I talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine on The Orb. I'm also, as Lee mentioned, on The Nerd Party. I've got a couple of shows there. One is called Owl Post with uh, Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week. And, of course, you would have heard us recently on the 602 Club here talking about Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. And then I am doing, of course, Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills, which is a Star Wars podcast. And each and every week, uh, we just dive into a topic that we've been thinking about. Uh, in that Star Wars franchise. So uh, it's a lot of fun. Check that out. And then last but not least, doing uh, cinema stories with uh, my good friend Courtney as we talk about films, but through the lens of faith. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you're here. Thank you.